Well, before we begin our study tonight, let's take a moment to pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to begin tonight with a passage from Paul's letter to the Romans that was written to encourage these Italian believers about their new life in Messiah. He wanted them to understand something that they could actually live for a Messiah. He wanted to give them a foundation about how to do it and how to understand their life in God and their life together with other people, including their life with the Jewish people. But I want to focus on a passage in Romans 8, starts in verse 5 and goes through verse 11, that talks about the, the role of the Holy Spirit and also how we relate to God and how we relate to ourselves, in a sense. And I'm going to be using my own translation here, so you might compare it to yours. Uh, starting in verse 5, when people are dominated by the sinful nature, they focus their thinking on sinful things. People who are being led by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit of God. When you let your sinful nature run the show, your sinful nature will control your mind, and that leads to death. But letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Who's in favor of life and peace? How would you like to wake up every morning with a sense of life and vitality and also with peace watching over you? There's a promise here, and that is the Holy Spirit ruling over you, guiding you, you allowing the Holy Spirit to have authority over even what you think will have an impact on you, an impact for good. Now, verse 7 says something I think that's extremely important. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's instructions or his commands, and it never will. That's why those who are still dominated by their sinful nature cannot really please the Lord. Here's now an important detail. You belong to God through Messiah. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. Now he's writing to believers because it's easy for believers to think that they've lost the battle and they just have to do the best they can. Have you ever had uh, a desire to, to grow up and to be stronger spiritually than you are? Have you ever felt awkward or embarrassed before God or for other, before other people because you didn't reach the level that you wanted to in your behavior, in your thinking, in your attitudes. Have you ever had a bad attitude? You just wake up angry or you wake up uh, grumpy this morning. There are times when people think, well, what I really need to do is I need to use all my religious fervor to control that side of me. But there's a problem. If you just try 
to, to dominate the sinful nature that's trying to dominate you, you may not have the victory that you need. The key is this. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are under the authority of the Lord. You belong to him. Now, how do you know you belong to him? Well, of course, you have to know the answer for that. It's not wishful thinking. It's based on paying attention to what God says. He says, return to me, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and turn to God, and ask for forgiveness. And what will cover your sins is the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Son of God. When you come to grips with the fact that that you sin, even if you're a good guy, a good person, you could be a nice person, a wonderful person, and still sin. Sometimes good guys are the hardest ones to convince that they need the Lord. But no matter how good we are, we're never perfect in our holiness, and we're never perfect in our righteousness. We fall short in so many ways. And we need atonement. We need a sacrifice for our sins. And we can't provide it. We can't provide an adequate sacrifice. And yet, God has provided it, and he's basically saying to us, if you would humble yourself and you would receive this reality, your need for forgiveness your need for atonement, and if you would put your trust in what God has provided, and that is the sacrifice of Yeshua is the sacrifice that atones for your sin, if you would do that and turn away from this independence and self-sufficiency, then you can start relying on God and experiencing his mercy, his compassion, his provision, his protection, his increase, his strength. Once you have come to terms with God and you've been reconciled to God, it's time to obey him, right? To do what he says. I remember when I came to believe that Yeshua was the Messiah, I started reading in the Bible that I should be immersed in water and immersed with the Holy Spirit. And as a Jewish young man, I was okay with the idea of being immersed in the Holy Spirit because it was unfamiliar to me, and it was interesting to me. But being immersed in water, to me, that was like going over to the other side. And I thought, I will get in trouble for this. But what I, what I had to learn was this. If, if God is really the Lord... I have to submit my heart to him and to desire to do what he says to do. It took me months after I came to the Lord to actually be willing to face family rejection or whatever would come my way because of being immersed in water. And the day after I was immersed in water, my family found out, and it was a big deal. But... I can tell you this, I counted the cost, and I was sincere in coming to the Lord. I was sincere in wanting to obey him on his terms. And so I had been immersed in water, and I was still Jewish, and I was now a kind of Jew I'd never been before or knew before. And I just had to live in that 
newness of life. But I didn't think that that meant that life would just be easy. In fact, the first thing that happened after, well, I can say this, when I was immersed in water and I came out of the water, I felt joy and gladness and I felt this blessing that actually is associated with experiencing the blessing when you obey the Lord. And so I just felt this is the best thing. And the next day when my family disinherited me, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) I I was not in shock. I was not ashamed. I wasn't double-minded. I wasn't thinking, why did I do that? I did think, why didn't I tell Allison not to tell my family? But it hadn't occurred to me that I needed to manage, you know, like the information flow after this. My bad. (laughs) So... The blessing of obedience sometimes comes at a price. And sometimes the price, though, is matched with a clean conscience. You see, before God, I had a clean conscience. Before my mother, who was so upset and thought, you know, I had suddenly become a Nazi or an anti-Semite or something. Seriously. A betrayer of the Jewish people of all things Jewish and of everything that was dear to them. But before her, I could have a clear conscience too. Because it wasn't pretense, it wasn't compulsion, it wasn't uh, anything other than a sincere desire to follow the Lord. That's what was motivating me. I learned at that moment I wasn't being controlled by my sinful nature. And I'll tell you how I knew this. I had read the scriptures that when you're immersed in water, this is how you're identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Yeshua. And I I read in the scriptures that we need to bury the sinful nature, not just cope with it. And so I thought, that's my only hope. I am going to bury the sinful nature in a spiritual way, as God says to do, even though it challenges my thinking and my aesthetics, if you will. But when I came out of the water, I knew this. I was walking with the Lord. I was wholehearted. And however God was able to do it, this old man who used to rule over me didn't have the last word anymore. And now God had the last word. God had authority. Now my family's response was was very difficult. But I can tell you this, seven years later, people softened in the family. It took that long. It took, I think, 38 years for my dear sister Karen to, to come to a place where she would even come to worship with us, to come to the same place, in this case the synagogue, to enter here with us. It took her 38 years to get to that place. And when she asked if she could come to services with us, and, and she was not saying, I want to become a believer like you, 
She was just curious. But it took 38 years for her to work up the chutzpah to be curious. It took her that long. But when she told us she wanted to come, I was shocked and surprised. I could not have imagined, because for the prior 38 years, she was consistent. I will never. But I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you and me and us. And, and this is, this is the, the essence of verse 9. Now you belong to God through Messiah. And you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Now, what if you've got a personality that tends to be cranky? Do you need to be controlled by that? No. What if you're a pessimist by nature? Do you need to be controlled by that? No. What if you're like a, just a ridiculously unrealistic optimist? Do you need to be controlled by that? No. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And, and we belong to him. That's the essence of what Paul is saying to the Romans because they're new at this. Do you understand? And they're coming from an unbelieving world and surrounded by unbelievers with family who are unbelievers in a culture that has its own religiosity and spirituality that's very well developed and has great status compared to their own. And yet, they have to learn how to live for Messiah. Can you imagine for those poor Romans in Italy? You know, they're now associating with Jews and and not the high class. They're now associating, you know, with this provincial little group of Jews who are claiming that they have a king who's mightier than Caesar, but who was killed by Caesar's forces. Now you belong to God through Messiah. It's so important to know this. It's foundational to know this. You belong to God through Messiah. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. Now, if you don't belong to Messiah, you can't fake this. No matter how religious you are, if you don't belong to him, you don't belong to him. Now, let's read on. Since you have the Spirit of God living in you, you are being led by the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? You have the Spirit of God in you. So you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Messiah living in them don't belong to him at all. Now can you have the Holy Spirit in you and barely know it? Yeah, it's possible. Do you want to stay in that condition? No. Any more than you would want to be married and barely know your spouse. That wouldn't work so well. Or have kids and not know them. It goes on, Messiah lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been restored to God. The Spirit of God who raised Yeshua from the dead is living in you. Can you tell someone sitting next to you, the Spirit of God who raised Messiah from the dead is living in you. 
living in you. And then we'll skip a few verses and we'll go to Romans 8, verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of daughtership, if you will, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So now Paul is telling the Romans, okay, we're going to learn a little Hebrew here, a little Aramaic. You belong to the Lord. And his spirit in you wants to cry out to God and call him Abba, Father. The spirit of God in you will connect you with God in such a way that you will know that you're a son or a daughter of the Lord. You won't have a question about that. You will know. And if you do have a question, it's important that you get resolved your very basics and your foundations. Because you need to know that you belong to him. You need to know why you belong to him. Now, being led by the Spirit, this is essential. There is no substitute for it. It's foundational that we would have fellowship with the Lord. It's foundational that we would allow his instructions to have uh, a home in our hearts and our minds. And that we would put into practice what he instructs and what he teaches. This is... Very important. I think it's very positive too. The Spirit of God will lead you when He's living inside of you. He not only wants to be external to you, He wants to be in you. In the same way that the New Covenant says that the instructions of God, the Torah of God, will be written on your hearts and on your minds, internalized. And not just out there as rules or external to you. The Spirit of God doesn't want to just be external to you. He wants to be within you. Now, it's a remarkable idea, isn't it? That God would take up residence in you. And yet, the teaching of the Scripture is this. He's promised to pour out His Spirit on all flesh and blood. That everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, that he would pour out his spirit upon all those who put their trust in God through Messiah, and that he would not make a differentiation or a distinction between young and old, male and female, Jew, Greek, Roman, Yugoslavian, Colombian. Canadians can be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us. And we're to become living stones, little sanctuaries, joined to Messiah, joined together, and together we, we become a place where God can live. Now, I think what's essential about this is that we understand we can't just try to control our negative thoughts and our behaviors. Don't just try to counterbalance your sinful nature or to cope with your sinful nature or react to your sinful nature. Life doesn't actually work that way. It's important to learn to have enough fellowship with God that you become strong in his spirit. And you'll start paying attention to something. Am I thinking about the things that are pleasing to the Lord and getting stronger? Or am I thinking about the things that are far from God and getting weaker and weaker? 
regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, we can turn our hearts, we can turn our minds, we can turn our direction to the Lord. And when we turn our direction to the Lord, we will be strong and God will cause the different parts of our lives to fit in together. Now, in this week's Torah portion, we read about what I would call misdirected efforts. Misdirected spiritual efforts, and they're in sharp contrast to being led by the Spirit of God and being directed by the Spirit of God. You can turn to Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, I've singled out Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Does your Bible say that? I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Do, Do you see, this is connected to what we're reading about in Romans. I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge Concerning every kind of artisanry, he's a master of design in gold, silver, bronze, cutting precious stones to be self-set, wood carving, and every other craft. I've also appointed as his assistant Oholiav, the son of Achisamach, of the tribe of Dan. Moreover, I have endowed all the craftsmen with the wisdom to make everything that I have commanded you the tent of meeting, the ark for the testimony, the ark cover above it, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure menorah, all its utensils, the incense altar, the altar for burnt offerings and all its utensils, the basin and its base, the garments for officiating, the holy garments for Aaron, the the high priest, the garments for his son so that they can serve in the office of Kohen the anointing oil and the incense of aromatic spices for the holy place. They are to make everything just as I have ordered you. Now here we read the names of people, their abilities being described, their skills, the uh, description of their assignment. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear the spiritual nature of their gifts, They have gifts from God. God says, I have filled them with the Holy Spirit. And now they have the ability. And so they're given these instructions because they're being given holy assignments from God. There may be things that you could do in your natural strength, but maybe God doesn't want you to do just in your natural strength anymore. Maybe he wants you to serve him with your abilities. Some people have had this experience where they come to the Lord, they're very talented, but they cannot rely on their talents anymore after they come to the Lord because they're misdirected. The talents have been used for other purposes, not for the glory of God. And it's as if God takes off the, the grace and the ability and the ease that they used to have with their gifts, and now they have to find a new way of living. Now, Bezalel will read about, his, his guys will read about, and this is in the greater story of build a house for me and build a house with excellence, 
and give me your very best and bring me your Taruma offerings and, and use your spiritual gifts the way I've set forth for my glory. And don't use them for other purposes in this week's portion that says, here's how to, here are the ingredients for oil and the ingredients for incense. And don't use these same ingredients, the same mixture, the same recipe for any other purpose. I won't have it, the Lord says. When you learn how to make it perfectly, it's only for me. That's what the Lord is saying. So we read about all of this because Bezalel and his group are empowered by God. They receive spiritual gifts and they are going to accomplish the assignments that God has given them. In the same way, when you are empowered by God and the Holy Spirit in you is working and you're using your spiritual gifts for building up the house of the Lord and for serving the Lord, God will accomplish great things through you. That's well-directed effort. Now let's compare this to misdirected effort. Because both the book of Romans, which I read earlier, and this week's Torah portion speak about well-directed effort and misdirected effort. So let's go. This is the last passage we want to look at tonight. It's from Exodus chapter 32. And remember what happens between 31 and 32. Moses goes up on the mountain. God's visiting with him, gives him the tablets with the instructions of God written by the finger of God. And then the Lord says to Moses, oh no, get down. Go, go real quick because there's a mess going on down below. Let's read about the mess. Exodus 32. The people gathered round Aaron. They said to him, get busy. Make us gods to go ahead of us. Because this Moses, the man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. He's been gone for way too long. Aaron said to them, no, be faithful. Don't worry. Wait. <laughs> no, that, it didn't go that well. He said, well, have your wives, your sons, and your daughters strip off their gold earrings and bring them to me. The people stripped off their gold earrings. They brought them to Aaron. He received what they gave him. He melted it down. He made it into the shape of a calf. Okay, do you see this pattern? Bezalel's being called to use his artistry and his creativity according to God's direction. Aaron, who has some similar abilities, but isn't called to do that, he's now using his abilities in the wrong way, as are the people. This is in sharp contrast. He receives what they gave him, he melts it down, he makes it into the shape of a calf, and they say, Israel, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You see, God wants them to have a different way of thinking about him and how he is concretely present in the world. He doesn't want them to think the way the Egyptians did or the way the nations of the world did, which is we're going to make representations of God because it helps us be religious and spiritual. 
God doesn't want that kind of help. But now the people are saying, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Here he is. On seeing this, Aaron said, oh no, what have we done? Not yet. No, he builds an altar in front of it and he proclaims, tomorrow is a feast for the Lord. Let's have a holiday for the Lord. Do you see how misdirected this is? Early the next morning, they got up. They offered burnt offerings. They presented peace offerings. And afterwards, the people sat down to eat and drink. And everything was fine. Mm -mm. Look at what happens next. And then they got up to indulge in revelry. In other words, they gave themselves over to ungodly behavior. So it had some of the same similarities. It was similar, if you will, to what was supposed to be motivating and animating the, uh, the artisans. They used the very kind of skills we had read about that Bezalel and his group were to use. They used them for a spiritual purpose. What was wrong is that it was not the right spiritual purpose. The idols, the sculptures of God, become substitutes for God. And Aaron even announces, it's going to be a feast to the Lord. Hallelujah. You can go all over the world. Many religious places have statues for God. And though Messianic Jews don't tend to do this, the nations that love Jesus often don't feel comfortable unless they've got a picture of him or a sculpture of him or some representation of him. This kind of substitution is insidious because it doesn't always seem evil. It may be fully justified in the eyes of the people who make the substitution. Why are we making these idols? Because we're worshiping the Lord. It helps us. But it crosses the line. It substitutes for the true direction and effort that God's giving. It can be similar in some of the characteristics of the true direction, but it's outside the boundaries. And this is what we can conclude. These kinds of substitutions are counterfeit. And what is a counterfeit? It's a copy, but it's not authentic. If if you take a piece of paper about the same size as a dollar bill and you get out your green crayons and you mark, you know, you make a one and a dollar sign and you draw a picture of, you know, somebody on the front and you go to the store and you hand it in, they will not think it's a counterfeit. They'll think you're an idiot. (laughs) Right? And if you have a whole stack of them, they'll think you're a really big idiot. (laughs) A counterfeit has to have some similarities to be 
similar enough to what is real to be to the authentic thing that it makes the uh, the unknowledgeable accepted as if it were authentic. But it's not authentic. It's trying to pass as the real thing, but it isn't. And this is one of the things that God is trying to warn us about. There is no substitute for the Holy Spirit. There's no amount of religious effort that will allow you to control yourself enough to be a good enough person. So what do you do? You accept the fact that you need sacrifice and atonement all your life. Number two you receive the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now that's strange, isn't it? That the Spirit of God could live inside of you? Because as big as God is, it would seem like it's like a little bit of the Spirit. But actually, wherever God is, He fully is present. If he's in the pillar of cloud or the fire, if he's in the holy place and the sanctuary, if he's in your heart or in your mind, it is truly God who has taken up residence there. Now this is the radical idea that we're reading about. God wants to live inside of us. But not just in us individually, he wants to live inside of us corporately. And thus we need to be joined together. He wants to live inside of us, and yet he still wants us to be subject to his word, his written word. He doesn't want us to be crazy. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be full of joy. So he doesn't want us to be wise and miserable, wise and religious. He wants us to be wise and joyful wise and filled with shalom. And these things don't go together for the natural mind. Because a lot of people think if you're religious, you're somber. You're too serious. You're critical. You're judgmental. You're hypocritical. If you're not hypocritical, you're hypercritical of others. And then some people think if you're spiritual, it's sort of loosey-goosey. You know, I feel. You know, being led by the Spirit means refusing any godly human authority. Being defiant. You know, as if you can just do what you want. But that's not being led by the Spirit. So I'm, I'm bringing this up to us today only because it's in our text that we need to not be misdirected in our spiritual efforts and not to be accepting counterfeits or substitutes. And we need to know what's pleasing to the Lord and then living in a way that pleases God. Not by just trying to be good people, but by loving God. There is no substitute for that. Loving the Lord with all of our heart. Receiving him. Receiving forgiveness. Receiving the spirit of God who wants to connect us to God in such a way that we start calling him Abba, Father. We feel that close to him. 
We know his love. We know that we belong to him and are his children. No matter how much you might try to control yourself and control your negatives, it will never be enough. But I tell you this, the spirit of God in you, the love of God, the boldness of God, the power of God alive in you by the Holy Spirit will enable you to live a life that's worthy. Would that Aaron at that time had been full of the Spirit and he would have done something different. Instead, he was given over to fear. As his brother Moses said, why would you do this? You know, how did they threaten you? How did they control you to do this? And it was his idea. What a pity. Well, I want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you freely give your Holy Spirit, young and old, male and female, Jew and Greek, Jew and every other nation, everyone who would turn to you, everyone who would humble themselves, everyone who would be sincere in their repentance and their desire to follow you can be made a new creation and filled with your Spirit. I thank you for your love and your mercy that you've called Israel and the nations together to reveal the mystery of Messiah. And you don't want us to be conforming to this world any longer, but to live instead for you as new creations. Let it be, Lord, that we're finding joy in being new creatures. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your spirit, that we could be led by your spirit. We could serve you all the days of our life. We want to be pleasers of our God and bring joy to you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing alone, if you don't mind moving just a little bit, you can be with somebody. Or somebody can be with you. The Lord bless you and keep watch over you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you as he's being gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.